Hey everyone, before we get into today's podcast, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. I'm your other host, Farbot Essenshire from Sports Illustrated. This podcast is being brought to you by Bet Online, Indeed, and Blue Wire Hustle. Farbod, I haven't talked to you in a little while. I mean, we talked like, like a week Monday. ago. Well, we talked last Monday night for the Tuesday podcast for the preview of opening night against the Lakers, and then. I had to get Garrett because you were too lazy to hop on and do it with me, you know? So it's been a little while. I mean, you can't call a man with like three jobs lazy. <laughs> Listen, still lazy enough to, sh- to, sh- to not show up to the podcast, my man. I'm just kidding. You're not lazy. You know I'm joking, right? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so where we left off... The Clippers were going into their Christmas night matchup against the Denver Nuggets. And this, since since we last spoke, they've played four games. They've gone three and one in those games. They beat the Denver Nuggets by 13 points on Christmas. They then turned around and two days later lost to the Dallas Mavericks on Sunday afternoon by a franchise record 51 points. They were down by 50 at the half. So, hey, at least the second half wasn't bad. Uh, Tuesday night. They beat the Minnesota Timberwolves by 23, and Wednesday night they beat the Portland Trailblazers by 23 as well. They go three and one. Two of their three wins are against playoff teams from last season. Minnesota got off to a solid start this season, but there's no Carl Anthony Towns, and they got smacked uh, by the Lakers on Sunday night. So I don't know how much to take from that game. But what what, what would you take from this week, honestly? Like like this these four games, what would be your overarching takeaway? Um, it's tough to take away. Uh, they move the ball really well when they win. Uh, they're averaging, I believe it was 27 assists a game when they were winning. Uh, I had the exact number on a tweet. Oh, we're Uh, prepared, baby. Let me see real quick. I got it for you. All right. So in the four wins, they're averaging 29 assists a game. 29 assists a game. Yeah. And they're averaging 23.7 last year. Um, and in their four wins, they've been leading by an average of 27 points. So 
when they're on and they're hitting shots, they look really, really good. Like really, really, really good. Um, they move the ball really well. They cut way better. So like they do a combination of hitting threes and cutting to the basket. And that one loss, man, they missed everything in the world in the beginning of the game and it just got a hand real quick. So I like the Clippers are clearly better than I thought they'd be by now, but I also just need to see them win a game when they're cold. Like I need to see them win a game without them going super lights out from three. I think that's a fair thing. I'm not going to like they're making their threes right now. Like if you actually look at the season and this is an interesting contrast from last season. That's why I was excited for the Ty Lue hire. Last season, the Clippers averaged 32.6 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. So this is rate-adjusted for 100 possessions, 32.6 three-point attempts per game. This season, they're up to 36.4. They're taking four extra threes per 100 possessions, and they're making them at 39.4%, which is an absurd mark, which is funny, as you mentioned, because you said you know they're making threes at a crazy mark in their wins, which they are. You know, they made 35% of their threes against the Lakers, 50% against Denver, 51.6% against the Timberwolves, 47.4% against Portland. And then you look in the Dallas game, they were four of 33, which is 12.1%. So that one game really dragged the percentage just below 40%. And they've had two games right around 50 or above. Like, it's crazy. This team can shoot. And this is without Marcus Morris right now. And Marcus Morris is arguably what, like their third or fourth best player, would you say? Uh, see, that's a that's an interesting. I would say fourth with Surge now. I would say fourth. Yeah. I, I guess say... you could argue. I guess you could argue Beverly is fourth over him, but I would argue Beverly's importance is better than his actual like. Um. Like, I would say Beverly's importance to the team is better than him being where he ranks as a best player on a team. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say best for Beverly. Just important is the more appropriate term for Beverly. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. I mean, you mentioned the assists. They're averaging 26.1 assists per 100 possessions this year. Uh, so far this year through five games, they were at 23.1 last year. But here's the staggering stats, I guess. You know, since we're talking about all the passing that they're doing. The Clippers are averaging 304 passes per game this season. They averaged 271 last season. So they're passing the ball 33 more times per game, which, mind you, they're playing at a slightly lower tempo this season compared to last season. Last season, they were averaging 102.2 possessions per game. They're at 99.2 this season. So it's three fewer possessions per game, but 33 more passes per game. They're averaging 46.2 potential assists per game. Last season, it was 42.6. Far, far about like this team is actually moving the ball. You know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George each had seven assists in the win over Portland Um, on Tuesday against Minnesota. The Clippers have 32 assists on Wednesday against Portland. They have 30 assists. It's the first time they had at least 30 assists in back to back games since 2014 when they actually did it for three straight games from December 1st through the 6th. And this actually blew my mind when I went and looked at it. Prior to last night, the last time the Clippers had at least 30 assists in back-to-back days was in 1994 when they did it on January 31st and February 1st. So we're talking over 25 years. This is nuts. It's, uh, I mean, they've looked pretty nuts 
uh, every game. Every, yeah, like, every, every, every win, it's like, oh, I mean, pardon the cursing, but every win, it's like, oh, shit, they look good. And then you're like, uh, maybe they're going to stop hitting threes in the second half. And they're like, nah, they don't. And they just kept going. Yeah. I mean, you know what's crazy? I think they hit 14 threes in the first half against Portland and then like four in the second half, and they still won the second half. And they, and the thing is, they, uh, they uh, had like 20 something assists in the first half against Portland and only three turnovers, which, by the way, had to be the number Ty Lue loves the most, because you and I know being in the pregame, postgame, shoot around, whatever, hearing him talk. The one thing he keeps preaching, right, is protecting the basketball like he wants the team to only have about 12 or 13 turnovers per game. And last night they had 10. So. hey, mission accomplished, coach. Uh, th- that Mavs game, though, I just want to talk about that for a bit. Go like, right ahead. It needs was, to be talked about. That was the first time I'd been at Staples Center in like 293 days. So I'm all excited. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was your fault. And like, I'm talking to Tomer, you know, we haven't seen each other in 293 days. And, uh, and like, <laughs> and I was like, they just kept missing shots. And I was like, okay, so like they, sh- the ball just keeps going in and out. Like, all right. And then, like, the maps aren't hitting anything either. We're like, all right, this game kind of sucks. And then all of a sudden, it's like a 20-point lead in the first quarter, 23. And we're like, okay, like, they got some work to do. <laughs> and, like, within, like, six minutes of the second quarter, it's a 44-point game. And me and Sabrina and, like, Tomer just start staring at each other laughing. And then, like, and then it just keeps getting worse. And then it gets to, like... I think it got to, like, 56 or 57. 57. And it, and, yeah. and it was, like... Just three ball, three ball, three ball, and like the Mavs bench is exploding, and it's like. Then I just look at Sabrina. I'm like, you can't even be mad anymore. Like you just have to, <laughs> yeah. Be like, how bad are they going to lose by now? And then once it started becoming a realistic chance that they were going to have the worst game ever, I was like, ah, shit. Like, don't have the worst game ever. Like, all you it's okay to lose, just don't have the worst game ever. And then they had the worst game ever. I think there's a point. In that game, and I know I know you said you you found it when they got down to about like fifty seven or forty four, whichever point in the game that you felt this was, you couldn't even be like annoyed. It was almost funny because of how bad it was. Like it wasn't even like, oh my god, this is this is just terrible. It was like this is actually funny because they couldn't make anything. Dallas couldn't miss, and it was like every possession with about the worst it could ever go. And I do want to mention this, despite that, despite a 51 point loss, only five games into the season, the Clippers are 10th in net rating, and it's, which tells uh, you, which tells you how good they can be. It's, it's also kind of, you know, and it was an interesting thought because it was like, these guys have had some bad teams, right? in yeah. their history if they've been considered the worst franchise in the history of sports they've had some bad teams and somehow this is the one that set the record and you try to think about like why is that what happens and it's kind of like the 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 list of i mean obviously there's no excuses right like there's no excuse to be worse than them but the list of reasons that i could come up with was one dallas could still be the best offense in the history of the nba and we just don't know it yet because it's only been like three games like Dallas could still be that team. Uh, two, 
the Clippers needed to come back down to earth after scorching the earth with threes. Three, there's just such an overabundance on the three ball. And because these early games in the season are kind of weird where there's blowouts everywhere, but I just think there's a way too much of an abundance on the three ball. So the variance is nuts. So like, it's not a coincidence that the game that the Clippers had their worst game ever, they missed the most threes in franchise history. And then the Bucks having the, you know, insane blowout against the heat. They had, they made the most threes in NBA history. Like these things keep going hand in hand. Yeah. Um, the three ball and Tyler's talked about this, the three ball is so prevalent that if you're not making them, you're kind of just dying on the court. And the one loss the Clippers had, like they missed 29 threes and they took 33 of them. So when you only make four out of 33, odds are you're going to get smashed a little bit, you know? Um, I kind of look at it as like all the factors you said are true and very valid. I also think like not having Kawhi was like a mental blip. And then it's an afternoon game. The one thing I keep coming back to is the Clippers always stink in the afternoon games. They just stink. Yeah, but like they've had afternoon games for the last 50 years or whatever. I get that. They just stink. That can't be. There's got to be something even bigger underlying because like to be worse than the worst Clipper team of all time. Like that's there's got to be something more deeper in the way the game is being played or something. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the United States are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day 
every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Do you think there was any truth to what Paul George said about like, you know, it could have been like he didn't make an excuse. He just said it could have been like or he hopes it was like the fact that they celebrated their Christmas on the 26th because they had traveled back to L.A. and then like all this. So like, do you think it was almost like a like a mental like lapse, almost like a game where like you went into it without the proper mental mindset because like you got to that comfort level of well we got back home and we just had Christmas with our loved ones and then whatever. I think that had something to do with it, but like that's no different than something that could have happened in the last 50 years. Like, Oh, I think, I think it's more so it's like, so those are all the underlying things that probably contributed to it. But I still think the biggest thing was the abundance on the three and that Dallas had their worst loss in playoff history against the Clippers, like not that long ago. And I'm sure Dallas was pissed off, right? By, like, by, by the way, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to take credit away from Dallas. Dallas beat their brains in. Dallas absolutely annihilated them. Dallas won that game. We're just talking about things that might have affected the Clippers. By the way, I don't think even if those things didn't affect the Clippers that they win that game because Dallas was just so freaking good. So yeah, like even ha- even if they had Kawhi Leonard, they're still losing. It's it's just trying to figure out why it happened other than getting your ass kicked. Like, why did you get your yeah. ass kicked? And it started very early in that game. The first quarter, the Clippers missed a lot of good looks. Dallas made theirs because the Clippers defense was late on a lot of stuff. You know, after the game, Ty Lue said he wants to th- he wanted to throw the game tape out. You know, and I don't blame him. Like, there's nothing to take from that game. Like, what do you take from that game? Um, I mean, you. the only thing is, like, Luke Kennard needed to be more confident, and then he was the next game. Yeah, so he learned. You know what I mean? Um, you know, they, they, they rebound to beat Minnesota by 23. They then rebound the next night and continue along and beat Portland by 23, which by the way, that same Portland team minus Gary Trent jr. Who did not play against the Clippers uh, beat the Lakers when the Lakers were on their second night of a back-to-back. So like the Blazers just did like, they just beat a team in LA on the second night of a back-to-back a couple days ago. And the Clippers come in on their second night and they beat them very handily, you know, to me, that told me the Clippers had the right mindset. And I think that's what they've been talking about building is, you know, you got to have the right mindset every game. Like, of course, there's going to be blips on the radar, like the Dallas game, maybe not to the tune of a 51 point loss, but there's going to be blips, you know, here and there. It's a 72 game schedule. Teams are going to lose games, you know? So it was nice to see them buckle down defensively uh, for stretches and offensively. Like, yes, they hit a ton of threes, but they also diced them up inside. I really like when they attack. Uh, the paint, which is also something Tyloo mentioned about the Dallas game where he said they only had 16 paint attacks, which uh, I believe Evita Zubat said might have been the lowest in the NBA's over like the last year or so. Right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, like every game is, you know, it's really just one game. Right. But for some reason, the Clippers keep putting, being put in these positions where if they lose that one game, like it's a bad look. You know, like if they lose to the Lakers opening night or if they lose to the Nuggets on Christmas, like 
it's one game, but like if they had lost the Nuggets on Christmas, like that's a really bad look and a really bad like morale type thing, you know? And then it was the same thing with Dallas. Like it wasn't that big of a deal that they lost to Dallas, but then they had to lose in a historic fashion. So then it puts the pressure on the next game against Minnesota. And you're like, damn, if they lose against Minnesota after just having the worst loss in history, that's a really bad look. So it's like all these games are only supposed to be one game, but somehow there is this bigger story surrounding them that like makes it a bigger deal than it needs to be. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, another thing I noticed in three of their five wins this year, I'm sorry, three of their four wins so far this year, the Clippers have scored at least 50 points in the paint. It's, it's rather it's rather interesting that they're able to attack the paint and get three balls uh, rather easily, primarily because they are attacking the paint. They're getting threes. So here's the interesting part. They scored 50 points in the paint uh, in their opening night win against the Lakers. They then scored 52 points in the paint against Minnesota. They scored 52 points in the paint against Portland in each of those three games. They also made at least 14 threes. So they're, they're scoring at least 50 points in the paint in those games and also making a crap ton of threes. And you love to see it. You love to see it. So there's so like at least 92 points per game in those three games are coming from three or in the paint. And that doesn't account for free throws, which they're not getting to the line a ton, specifically not as much as they did last season or, or the year before. But, you know, like this is a team who you see their offensive identity. It's cutting, it's ball movement, it's attacking closeouts, it's driving, kicking. You know, it's, it's, I gotta say, this is a night and day offense compared to last season so far. Am I wrong? Yeah, because I, I feel like l- last season, I mean, I don't, even now, I don't know if I even knew what the identity of the offense was. Last the season? Off- yeah, it was like, I don't know, like sometimes Kawhi would run the point and then like make plays and that's about it. And like, if that didn't work, everybody would just ISO. And then sometimes there are pick and rolls. And oh, like, like the Lutrez pick and roll kind of, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it just seems like there's far more of an identity now than there was this season. Like everyone's just far more active if that if that's too early to tell. But I, I don't know. It just, it just seems like everyone's far more active. Everyone's looking to cut far more. It's not just one note. By the way, you brought up something very interesting just now. Guys look more active. Last night I tweeted that I think Nick Batum might be a hustle all-star. That guy, that guy has some of the most timely cuts to the basket I've ever seen, and it puts him in great position for offensive rebounds. I like his passing. He shot well so far. I mean, I don't know if the shooting's going to keep up, but he looks good, does he not? He, I mean, they kept saying Serge Ibaka was going to be the most underrated pickup of the season, but it's kind of looking like Nick Batum so far, like in terms of the output to what he's getting paid. Yeah, to expectations. The expectations, the output, what he's getting paid, because everybody was like, oh, big deal. Like he's washed. And then like, he I thought the same. Pretty, I mean, I said the same thing opening. Up. I said they're either going to be really mad be like this guy sucks or they were going to be really pleased like there wasn't going to be a happy medium and so far i think everyone's been very 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 pleased with nick batum like he other than the bad game against dallas like he hasn't had a bad game he's been very steady nick batum's averaging seven and a half points six and a half rebounds three and a half assists a steal a game shooting 50 40 80 from the field um 
he's reliable. I feel like also he's our first quarter guy. I feel like the bulk of his scoring this season, I haven't looked this up to check to like double check this. I feel like if I looked it up though, the bulk of his scoring this season would have come in the first quarter. I mean, I haven't checked because I know that used to be Zoo. Like Zoo was always Mr. First Quarter last season. I need to find it though. I need I need to find uh uh what's it called? Um the quarter splits for him. But yeah, like I've oh here it is. Okay. So three point six of his points per game have come in the first quarter, 1.2 in the second, 2.8 in the third. He has not scored a point in the fourth, although granted two games in the fourth. So if you actually look at it for the season, he scored 38 points, 18 of them. So almost half have come in the first quarter. And then almost the second half have come in the third quarter. With him in general, I just like that. um, He just contributes in a variety of ways, whether it's making a smart pass or getting the hustle rebound. Like he's not just... He's not useless if he's not hitting the wide open corner three. Y- yes, that is a very good point. If he's not out there making shots, if he's out there not making shots, I should say, I still see the value. You know what I mean? And you can't say that about a lot of guys, but with him, I look at it like even if it's even if he's not what he used to be defensively, I'm still okay with him especially he surprised me as a rim rim protector or you know just you know being a rim deterrent at times with his length it's pretty incredible and that leads us to Serge Ibaka though what has been your impressions of Serge so far because I think he's looked good especially offensively I mean so far I haven't really had a problem with him you're not going to get like the explosive pick and rolls like that you get with him and with Zoo and Kawhi where it's just like dunk city um i do like that lob that lou threw to him though the other night in minnesota that's a good one but like when you talk about like a high iq player i mean surge is surge is definitely that high iq player like he's not gonna he's not gonna get early fouls you know He, he doesn't he doesn't put you more often than not it doesn't seem like he puts you in a compromising position where you're like oh crap like we gotta play this backup guy for the next 10 minutes now but even then, their backup right now is Zeus. So <laughs> it's the team is in a good spot. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Their setter rotation is pretty nuts right now. Um, I got to say, I'm loving Ibaka as in the starting lineup because I fully believe that the five out is the one reason why they're that freaking good offensively with the starting group. Like, there's no one in the paint to defend because everyone has to be out of it. I still, I still really just... I really want to see them win a game without getting super hot from three, though. I just need to see how that happens with this team because the way they're designed right now is like hoisting a bunch of wide open threes. And they, they are wide open, too. So, like, the, the way they're designed right now is like everyone's just on the perimeter or cutting. But, like, I just need to see what happens. Like, do they go to Zoo and have him, you know, start taking inside shots? Like, how are they going to get that win against... I don't know who, but I'm sure it'll happen sooner than later because I don't know the exact number, actually. I'm, they're probably, what, averaging like 50-something percent from three in their four wins? Uh, I'd have to go look it up. But, I mean, if you want to see a game where they didn't get scorching hot from three, the Laker game, they only made 35%, but they took 40 of them. So, like, that kind of evens out the percentages a little bit. You know what I mean? And even that game, though, like... They had a spurt where they started... Making. I mean, they started the game like that, and then like 
that game though was like that got scary for a little bit. That that was like that was a twenty two point lead that became a tie game. I think it was a tie game, right? Like, uh, yes. So like that could have gone bad real quick. And I I have to analyze that one a little bit more to see how they got out of that um that little s- small spot where they they tied the game. But I do remember it was catalyzed by Reggie Jackson. I do want to talk about him, but I'll do that in a second. Uh, 45.6% from three is what they're shooting in their wins. Which is really, really, really high. It's it's extremely high. Um, oddly enough, they're shooting 49% from three in their home wins, which I mean, they've only had two. So, of course, I mean, that's the other thing. These sample sizes are so small, people. So believe me when I say like these numbers aren't the end all be all. Like it's we're talking five games. Things are going to fluctuate in these five games, you know, so the numbers are going to go down. They're going to go up in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, we're talking about just now, but remember it's small sample size. I'll get to Reggie Jackson in a second. I do want to bring up something um, that people have asked me to talk about Patrick Beverly's foul problems. Now against the Portland trailblazers, he did not get into foul trouble. Uh, he had four fouls, I believe, but they weren't really, uh, I didn't really think they were prevalent or damaging to the Clippers, if that makes sense. But you look at his first three games, he had four against the Lakers, only played 22 minutes, five against Denver, only played 22 minutes, four against Dallas. And several of them were early played 22 minutes. Um, He only had two against Minnesota in 22 minutes and he had four against Portland in 21 minutes. So Beverly hasn't played above 22 minutes so far this season, partly because a lot of these games are blowouts. So that's part of the reason. Part of it's also because he's fouling a lot. But I just look at it as this is who he is. He's very aggressive. He's very reachy. He swipes at the ball. He's liable to draw and commit a lot of fouls. So I think you just have to live with it as long as it's happening. But they need to be more diligent in having him stay on the floor because the Leonard Beverly George trio is so freaking good, man. They have a plus 43.5 net rating of 41 minutes together this season. And they were a monster last season. You need Patrick Beverly on the floor. And so I would like to see him cut down a little bit on the fouls. Or do you not feel that the fouls are that big of a problem? No, they're a pretty big. I mean, they became a much bigger problem in the playoffs. Yes. Because then you had to like play Reggie in place of him. And then that changes the defensive identity tremendously. But it was like the same thing. I remember 2018, it was the same reason why Doc didn't want to start Beverly over Avery Bradley because he felt like Avery Bradley, both of them were top tier defenders, but he felt like Avery Bradley was a more principled defender and Pat was like just more of a wild one. I thought you were going to say unstatable. I was about to scream. No, no, no. But, I, but when he said that, like I get that much more now when you see Pat defend compared to like when we thought there was a prime Avery, like Avery is just much more steady than what Pat is. Pat gambles way more. Pat is a chaotic defender. Would that be an apt description? Yeah, I, yeah, I would say so. And I don't mean that in like a bad way because his chaos creates turnovers. His chaos creates offensive rebounds, helps the team get defensive rebounds. You know, I mean, look at it like this. Patrick Beverly's averaging 21.7 minutes per game and he's six feet. And he's averaging 1.6 offensive rebounds per game, which is tied for the team lead. That's, a, that's insane. He's chaos personified. Um, I do want to get into Reggie Jackson. I do want to mention Paul George real quick, though. 
his passing has been very good this season. Uh, yes, the turnovers are up. That's a byproduct of his usage rate also jumping as a pick and roll passer. Um, I feel like the discipline with him is coming. And it was you who asked him after the Minnesota game about his passing, right? Yeah, probably. I think we all asked him about it and he just kind of gave us like whatever answers. But Oh, yeah, he uh, said – he said – I remember. He said it was about being in uncomfortable situations. Yeah, when I asked him, he said it was because he, his shoulders were fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I, I do not disagree with him. This is the best I've seen him in a Clipper uniform all around. Yeah, I think in these – I mean, it's early, but like in these five games, he's been better in these five games than I thought he was all last season. I see confidence in him. Like, like he, I think he believes in himself again. Is that what you see? Yeah, I just – I mean, because for the most part in these five games, it feels like he's outperformed Kawhi in a lot of them. So, like, yeah, that, that didn't happen often when they were both on the court. Like, he didn't usually outperform Kawhi last season. That's true. I, I feel like George has been more of the offensive fulcrum than Leonard has, even though Leonard's averaging more points and the same amount of assists per game. I feel like George has been the more, um, I guess, steady performer. Would that, would that be okay to say? I don't know. He's just kind of been a flamethrower. I mean, I don't. Yeah, that's true. He's making. I have to look at what he's averaging in the wins, but like, it just looks like he's just looks like he's freaking unstoppable from three right now. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's been like five, four, four wins of it. He's shooting 47% from three for the year. And that's with the Dallas loss. Yeah. So that says, that says a lot. I mean, Pat Beverly was shooting the same percentage too. Pat's been good as a shooter this year. Anyways, Reggie Jackson, let's talk. I love Reggie. I love Reggie as a person so much. He might be the nicest guy I've ever interacted with player wise. Just wait till you meet Boban. I know. If I ever, man, if I ever get to talk to Boban, I might actually just cry. Boban made, lifted me up by his bicep in the locker room one time. <laughs> he was like, what was like, that from? That was from a movie too, right? I don't uh, know. He was just oh, like, Mr. You're, you're Mr. Nanny with Hulk. it was Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan. He just randomly was like, feel my muscle. And then I grabbed it and then he lifted me up. That's insane. He's unreal. Um, Reggie is just the nicest guy uh, when you talk to him in media. Wait, for the, uh, one more Boban memory that I just remembered. At the last game of the season, like in 2017 or 2018, I came in with a mustache. And Boban looked at me and he was like, you feel good with this? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you are you are happy with this mustache? I was like, I was like no, not really. He's like, okay, good. Um, he's, he just seems like such a joy. Um, Reggie Jackson, 17 minutes per game. He's averaging seven points, two rebounds, two assists, almost a steal a game, 43% from the field, 37% from three. I want to say catch and shoot. Reggie Jackson is still here and he's still spectacular folks. I love catch and shoot. Reggie Jackson. I feel defensively. He's been fine, which is all I can ever ask out of him. Um, while there are some forays to the rim where I get scared, I've been pleasantly surprised with him. And I actually feel like Ty Lue kind of trusts him a little bit. I don't know how much of that's going to change when Patrick Beverly's playing more and staying out of foul trouble. I don't know what's going to happen if Luke Kennard or Lou Williams start playing more. I mean, Lou's only playing 20 minutes a game. 
Luke Kennard's getting 23 and Luke's only getting that many because he's been in the like fourth quarter blowouts uh, recently, but I've enjoyed the Reggie Jackson experience so far this season. I don't know how you feel, but that's how I feel. I mean, it's twofold. Um, I, I feel like when he's playing smart, he is fantastic. Uh, you, you can't have any complaints. He's a good spot up shooter. Um, he, he makes good passes, but then when he's playing not smart, like he did against the Lakers, holy crap, that is just like an uber black hole. See, uh, I went back and watched those three minutes of that Laker game for him just to, just to see what, like what everyone was complaining about, to be honest. And I didn't find the only thing I didn't like was like some floater thing that he tried. Everything else was fine. Defensively, he was good. I mean, the, I feel I feel like I remember him shooting a YOLO three. That I three re- didn't bother me because Pat Beverly did the same thing. It was a he was a YOLO three, and then like he just has some wild layups where he's like three sixty no scope layup where you're like, what the what the f just happened? He did try that that game, and I I loved him for it. That's all I want to say. But I mean, so it's it's fifty fifty because it's like. I had the same honeymoon period you had when I first started interviewing him last season. And I was always like, I'll never stand for any Reggie Jackson slander because he's such a nice guy. But then his performance in the playoffs, I was like, oof, this is tough. (laughs) Here's the thing. His performance in the playoffs was not great. Although I do want to remind people in that Dallas series, he went freaking supernova from three almost said the worst word he went supernova from three and he really tilted a lot of those runs so i want people to remember that when they start talking about how much they don't like reggie jackson because in that in that maverick series reggie jackson shot 57 percent from three he made more threes than anyone else on the clippers in that series i want people to know that so so while you can gripe about Reggie Jackson in that series and in that postseason, and especially by him being in the game late for the Luka Doncic game winner, he was helpful when he was on the floor offensively. The thing is, I blame Doc Rivers so much for the way that he used him as like a lead ball handler and all these things and put him in bad positions defensively that I haven't seen Ty Lue do that to him yet. Now, maybe that changes down the road this season, but I feel like Ty Lue's coaching mannerisms so far through five games have been spot on perfect with his usage of players, whether that's Patrick Patterson, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, um, Luke Kennard, like all these guys, like even like the complimentary pieces have been used so well so far. Evita Zubats on opening night against the Lakers. Like... I don't like I'm I'm fine with everyone so far and maybe I shouldn't be maybe I should be nitpicking things a little bit more maybe I'm just crazy which is weird because I'm not a naturally optimistic person but I've been fine with a lot of these performances so far including Reggie Jackson's yeah I mean I think he's just a specific type of player that the Clippers as I mean as of right now um you just have to have him on a certain leash like you have to the moment you see things kind of get a little crazy, you got to reel him back in real quick. It's not like the Doc Rivers style of letting guys play and figure it out. Like he's not that type of player that you just let him play and let him figure it out. I mean, you're absolutely right. Doc Rivers, real quick, because we're going to wrap up in a second. Real quick, I want to say this. 
Ty Lue's ability to call timeouts, not what he does after timeouts with plays and diagramming things, just calling timeouts has been very wonderful. A team will go on a 6-0 run, timeout. It's, it's such a welcome change. Doc Rivers, which is fine at times, tried to let the team play through it. Ty Lue will rip into them. Even late in games that are already decided, he did it in the Dallas game, he did it in the Minnesota game, and he did it in the Portland game, and oh, and the Laker game on uh, opening night. The team let a little bit of the rope slip defensively in like the last couple minutes, and he immediately called a timeout and was like, hey, like you got to buckle down, you know? Those are the things that are nice little subtle changes brought about by Ty Lue that won't get talked about as much as his offensive system, the defensive system under Dan Craig, which I think has looked very good at times and anything else that he might bring like those little subtle things matter to me and should matter to a lot of people because it's a stark contrast to the guy he replaced. Even if that guy was his mentor. Yes. Thank you. Okay. I feel like I lost you along the way. <laughs> um, Clippers get Utah on Friday. Utah's playing tonight. We are recording this on Thursday. It's going to go up today. So they're making that's Utah play New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Yeah, it's a little weird, right? Well, you know, it's, yeah, it's pretty weird. Is that and is um, anyone else doing that? I don't. I should go look that up right now. But um, Utah plays tonight in Utah against Phoenix, and then has to play. Um, tomorrow night against the Clippers in Utah. Is anybody else doing it? I'm going to look this up real quick. You, you serenade the fine folks as I look this up. There was one time I remember we, we, we played the Knicks on New Year's Eve because New Year's Eve games are always weird because like they have them early. So we played the Knicks at like 3 PM on New Year's Eve. And then like they made us do a countdown, uh, to the new year at like three at like 4 p.m. and it was the most awkward thing i've ever seen where everyone yelled happy new year at 4 p.m. and everyone was just like why are we doing this and it was super cringe and i just imagine like it's probably what they're gonna do in the other arenas and it's gonna be even more cringe because it's gonna be in empty arenas but that's always funny so so far i found besides utah chicago washington phoenix and that's it that's a lot, though. Yeah, four teams. That's kind of weird to play on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. That sucks. That kind of that actually really does suck. That sucks a lot. The so, only way that could get worse is if it was like back to back road games, like New Year's Eve. Oh, in Chicago, and then New do, Year's Day in Denver. Do I have a story for you? That actually is happening here, Chicago plays tonight in Washington, or excuse me, uh, they tip off in about an hour. We're recording this. It's almost 1 p.m. Pacific time. They play, they tip off in about an hour in Washington. They then have to travel to play Milwaukee tomorrow night. Okay, so th- they get two road games. You know who else gets two road games? Phoenix. They're in Utah tonight, and then they're in Denver tomorrow. Ain't that the shittiest back-to-back to get on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day? That sucks. That is the absolute shits. Eek. Yeah, I just looked at this right now. And I'm like, why would you do this to somebody? And then and then Phoenix has to come home to play on Sunday against the Clippers. So there's that. Um, we're going to be back next week. We're going to be back next ask- year. Oh, you really did it? Yeah. You did it. 
Why would you do it? Oh, you're the devil. Goodbye. No, hold on. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, I'm going to ask you this on air so we have it on record and I can always go back and parse through this. Do you want to record Monday after they play Utah and Phoenix or would you like to record Wednesday? Oh, no, hold on. Uh, we're going to have to record Monday because Tuesday, Wednesday, they play San Antonio, Golden State, unless you want to just cover those four games. Um, so we'll do Monday. I, we'll do Monday. I will re- figure it out later. <laughs> Okay. 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 Well, there you have it, folks. Um, you got oh, hot take of the week. Oh, just give uh, it to me real quick. Give it to me real quick. I, I I'll I'll give one that like will probably actually piss a couple of people off. Ooh, this is gonna be good. Well, actually, it's no. You know what? That's not really that true because it's like because so the thing I was thinking was like Steph gets a I don't know. It's interesting with Steph like. If we consider this guy a top five player, like even if you're missing Clay and sometimes missing Draymond, if you're top five, right? Like you shouldn't be struggling as much as you are. But then at the same time, they had the same exact record as the Lakers. Everyone was just acting like the sky was falling down. So I might say Steph is no longer top five if the war if the Warriors don't make the playoffs with just him and Draymond, or if the Warriors are under 500. Like, I don't know if I can call Steph a top five player anymore because you look at every other top five and they could carry a team. Like that's the definition of being top five. They can carry a team to at least the playoffs. My hot take is I, is I don't think the Kansas city, excuse me, if I can speak, I don't think the Kansas city chiefs are going to make the super bowl. I don't watch enough football. So I don't know. I don't know who I don't know who gets in over them. I just don't believe in them as much as I believe in other teams. I guess if I had to go with a super hot take, a super duper hot take, Buffalo Bills make the Super Bowl. That'll never happen. I don't know about football. I don't know that'll never happen. I'm just saying. Just saying. That's where I'm at right now. All right, folks. Um, we'll be back next week. We don't know what day. Stay on. Stay tuned for that one. Farbod, you got anything for the good people as we get off here? Happy New Year. Oh, yeah, it is. God, you made that joke and I already forgot. Yeah, it is. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Stay safe. Social distance. Wear your mask properly. Um, Don't go too crazy, please, on New Year's. Don't go out and like party with a ton of people, please. Don't do that. Um, Farbaugh, this has been a fun year for, for us, at least as far as the podcast. I know everything else outside of this has been insane, but. I'm glad we got to do this for the last nine months so far. I still, I still like not to sound braggadocious or whatever, but like whenever I juxtaposition how the year started and how it's ending or how, how I started 2020 and how I'm going to start 2021, it's like so night and day, like I'd like so night and day, like in a good way or a bad way, in a bad way. Like it oh, was like, yeah. like not to sound like a dickhead or whatever, but like, my new year's eve last year was like i had my cousin from england with me and i took her to three new year's parties and then someone got us into the weekend's mansion party and this year like i'm not gonna do jack shit and it's like that was always how my years started with like this uber bang where i'm like oh we're gonna get it and then like that first week i worked the golden globes and (laughs) this year's just like yeah i'm just chilling at home nothing wrong with chilling at home 
Uh, for much, me, it is. You know how much money you can save by just being at home? <laughs> Dude, I, I think I spend more money during quarantine than I did outside of quarantine. My my expenses have not been small either. So, all right, folks, everybody take it easy. We'll see you all next week. Everyone enjoy the uh, New Year's Eve as best as you can. We'll be back next week, folks. Stay safe. Bye.